G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Our guest is Peter Pollock, famous for his international cricket achievements. And if you remember back to the 1960s and 70s and uh, some of those fabulous matches that were played internationally, uh, our Australian cricket team against the world. And one of those world teams, of course, was South Africa and one of the most fearsome fast bowlers of the South African heyday of cricket was none other than Peter Pollock. Peter Pollock is joining us now. Hello, Peter. Welcome along to 2020. Uh, Hi there. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning. Peter, your first experience in Australia dates back to 1963-64. That was when you first arrived on our shores. 1963, I remember, at Perth, and we had the privilege as a fast bowler Suddenly we got on a, a wicket there at the Wacker, and I'll never forget the very first bouncer that I bowled in Australia. I, I pitched it short where I would normally pitch it, and it just cleared the batsman, and it cleared the wicketkeeper, and we just thought to ourselves, you know, what's going on? And we just lost control because, uh, you know, it was the fastest wicket in the world uh, by by miles in those days, and, I mean, it was it was an absolute... Uh, dream for any fast bowler and uh, yes but that was a long time ago 1963 October 1963 we're going to talk about cricket and we'll talk about fast bowling and we'll also talk today about faith uh, because as uh, a cricketer of that era and having this uh, this uh, fabulous Pollock dynasty in South African cricket uh, is just a, a tremendous thing. And, and just reflect on that for a few moments uh, because we're going to get into your uh, travelling as an evangelist as well. And we'll hear your testimony uh, today on 2020. Uh, but tell me about this dynasty that you have because there are some things about the Pollock family in South Africa that have never been surpassed in world cricket. Well, I think w- w- one of them, uh, you know, well, they talk about dynasty and, and legends, and I think those words are, are used rather glibly in this day and age. But, uh, you know, it just happened. Uh, it, it just happened that way. There was Graham and I as youngsters. Uh, we always uh, sort of we worshipped the game of cricket, but particularly the Australians. I remember Sir Donald Bradman and, for me, uh, uh, Ray Lindwell and, 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 and Keith Miller. And um, that's as far back as 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 I go, and playing in the in the in the back lawn. And you know, before you know where 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 uh, Graham is playing uh, first class cricket at the age of sixteen. Uh, I played my first test at the age of twenty. I got nine wickets in my first test. And you know, things just happened. Uh, we didn't sit down and 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 plan them. And and Graham got into test cricket and. And, and, and made some fantastic centuries. Uh, Sir Donald Bradman said of the one century that that was the best century he'd ever seen or whatever. And, you know, it just it just uh, evolved. Uh, the next thing, uh, our dream was to play cricket for South Africa. 
We wanted to actually go to England and beat England in England. We always thought the English thought they knew everything about cricket. Best beat them in England, and then they can't complain about the umpires. So, you know, that was our, our, our dream. And, you know, next thing you, you've achieved that in 1965, and by 1970, you've beaten the Aussies a couple of times. Uh, you, you're the best cricket side in the world. And, and some will say, well, how did you get there? And and I don't know. Uh, you just played cricket. Uh, perhaps you started to believe. Eddie Barlow always used to say uh, that we had a bit of an inferiority complex. We we needed to get over that. Why why shouldn't we beat the Aussies uh, uh, when we beat Australia in 1967 in the Test match at the Wanderers? It was the first time we'd ever beaten them in our own land. And then it just started. And by 1970, uh, this happened. And, and so there was Graham and Peter, and then we had isolation. And then afterwards, uh, along comes my, my son, Sean, and he becomes captain of South Africa. And, I mean, as we look today, again, uh, you look at the statistics. Someone just pointed out the other day that I think we're the only family uh, in in the world in cricket ever where three members of the family have all been ranked number one in their particular uh, sort of uh, areas of expertise, uh, ranked number one in the world. And I don't think there's any other family. Perhaps there's two members of the family that have, but with three, I I think it's on its own. Well done. Uh, That's all I can say. Insofar as your brother Graham, he was the batsman, Mm. you were the bowler. Uh, something I was reading about you is that uh, you had your aspiration to actually be a batsman, but uh, but you ended up being uh, classified as the bowler. Well, I, I, I tell the story. I, I, I don't know about the, 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 the truth of it, but, you know, I was the older brother. To get younger brothers to bat first or to play, you've got to let them bat first. And to get them out in the back lawn is is tough. Uh, and so, you know, when they're caught by a dahlia or a tulip or something and they don't want to go out, mother says, well, give them another chance. But mother doesn't understand how hard it was to get him out. So I say the net result was that in the back lawn, I did all the bowling and he did all the batting. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, backyard cricket is yes. an Australian institution. I guess it is the same in South Africa no, too. I think it's world over. Uh, whether it's in the West Indies or whether it's in England, backyard cricket is really, it's like club cricket. That's, that's, uh, things have changed a little bit uh, these days, but that's, that's where cricket was nurtured. Uh, when, when people say, why cricket? I don't know. Uh, I, I can't, I'm, I'm one of these few people who, if someone says to me, you know, I watch cricket, the, the five-day stuff, I find it quite boring. I can even understand that. Uh, you know, I, I can understand that maybe they do. But for us, it was our, our, our life. Uh, and, you know, cricket, I honestly say this, I can never give back to cricket what it gave to me. As I look back at it, the friendships and things. Things were different in those days. We did make friends. Uh, after the game, we used to get together and, and have a couple of beers. It was very fierce and and, and ferocious and and, 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 you know, we were at each other's throats on the field. But we, we did. Uh, there were some lasting friendships uh, amongst uh, Australians and, and, and some of the English cricketers. 
you're in Australia this visit. Do you catch up with any of those players that you played with? And uh, as I uh, mentioned, some of those that you played against, the likes of Richie Benno or Bill Laurie, Bob Simpson, uh, Wally Grout, these were amongst the Australian players that you would have played against yes, in, in uh, the you know, 60s, 70s. Uh, well, well, well uh, uh, Richie, of course, is dead. R- R- Richie was, was a fantastic man. Uh, he actually wrote the forward to the very first book uh, that I wrote. I had a great relationship. I was also a journalist for some time. I actually wanted to go that way. I wanted to be South Africa's Richie Benno, but unfortunately, isolation came along and it just messed up the whole cricket. But we do see... Uh, some of the old uh, players, Bobby Simpson, uh, uh, Bill Laurie, uh, we were good friends uh, with them. I haven't seen so much of them, but I do see quite a lot of uh, Ian Redpath when we go down to uh, Geelong. Uh, we bump into him, uh, even have a meal together. So, uh, but it's it's lovely. Uh, th- things were it, it it was it was good in those days. You mentioned isolation and all of the controversy over apartheid in South Africa. What did that feel like, having been part of uh, the exciting cricket years of the 1960s, uh, getting into the 70s, and when that isolation came? Did it feel like somehow or other cricket was finished? How did it feel? You know, I think we there was always hope. Uh, we got isolated in the early 1970s. We we had two replacement tours. We played in a World Eleven in 1970 in England, and then we came here in Australia. I think it was 71, uh, 72, and then isolation came. But you know, us cricketers, uh, there was always hope. We never saw it then. We didn't know then that it was going to be 20 years. You were always hoping. That's someone. So that actually kept you going. You you always felt because South African cricket uh, did keep going uh, it, it, quite incredibly. Uh, there were all those controversial rebel tours and that. But but by twenty years later, when in ninety one uh, we came back uh, into world cricket, uh, we were able to to certainly contend with the best even from day one because we had managed to stay alive uh, pretty well. Of course, we lost a lot of cricketers. We lost, you know, the Greggs and the Lambs and all those people and, and Kepler Vessels and those people that went and played uh, for the other countries because there was no test cricket in South Africa. We can open the talkback lines if you'd like to be a participant in our conversation today and uh, perhaps you are old enough to remember the likes of Peter Pollock and the sort of cricket we're talking about from that era today. You might like to make contact, 1-800-316-316. We're talking about faith and fast bowling today. Let's talk about faith, Peter, because in those days uh, you were obviously uh, excelling in cricket. Uh, What was it that brought you to a place where you acknowledged that there was something deeper, something different than you had been accustomed to, the things that had been shaping you up until that time? Uh, Tell us your testimony of how you became a Christian. I I always thought that I was a Christian because I was sort of brought up. uh, South Africa uh, is a a sort of Christian country. I was brought up uh, as a Presbyterian my granddad was, in fact, um, a moderator of the Presbyterian Church. So I always thought that I was a Christian. I think a lot of the guys I played against wouldn't have thought me much of a Christian as as a, as a fast bowler. 
But my life changed because my wife got born again. Uh, she also always thought she was a Christian. She was an Anglican. And then she had this experience. And, you know, there was a bottom line. Uh, her life changed. She became a new person. And it, 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 it hit me uh, profoundly because I'd always known about this religion. I'd sort of known about the church uh, at times had some very uh, positive, negative views about the church. But now all of a sudden, I saw a change. And then I had an experience myself. One night I was sitting watching a, a Christian program. Reynard Bonker was on the program. And it is, it's a long, long story, uh, too long to repeat here. But, but net, net bottom line was that I really came to conviction. I, I saw my, my, my own wretchedness. Uh, I, I saw that I was in the process of gaining the world and losing my soul, it culminated in me going down to the bottom end of the garden, uh, giving my life to Jesus Christ, and and never to be the same again. It was like that. It was as dramatic as that. It was just before midnight that night. I went to the bottom end of the garden, gave my life to Jesus, uh, burst into tears, cried like a baby, came back into the house that night, never, ever, to be the same again, never to be the same, and it was it was a, a, a night day experience, and that was some some thirty five years ago. Because within within the first six months, year I was I was out on the road. I was now uh, starting to uh, tell my story, and uh, that just progressed into a story. And then I started preaching. I was also CEO of a multi million company. Five years later, I gave up my fancy job and my, my fancy Mercedes, and I went out preaching the gospel, and I've been doing it ever since. Somebody had passed you a piece of paper on that night when you gave your life to Christ, and on the piece of paper was the sinner's prayer. How important was it that someone had actually said, these are the issues that you address when you make this transaction with God, when you come to faith, when you come to believe, uh, was that an important element? Uh, I think so. At the time, at the time, it was a piece of paper with a prayer on it, and it was uh, my only contact with what was the right thing to do. But as the years have gone by, I've become more and more aware of the huge significance of that because it was the acknowledgement the acknowledgement of repentance, the acknowledgement of my wretchedness, uh, the acknowledgement of the fact that I was I was on a, a, a one-way ticket to the wrong place. And for me to recognize that, uh, recognize um, the sin in my life and actually make a decision to turn around and come to Jesus. And praying a prayer like that, and you had a prayer written down, and, and you know, we'd all, I guess, appreciate that belief is born in the heart, uh, not just from some words that you might utter, but there is something significant about saying a prayer which it puts a stake in the ground, it draws a line in the sand, it says, this is the moment that I first believed. And that moment for you, I'm sure you remember that moment as though it were yesterday. Yeah, You know, to, to really understand the fact that God has made all of us and given us our own will, I mean, that is a huge determining factor. We have our own will, a will to decide even about him. And I mean, it sounds incredulous that that is the truth of it. And you have to exercise that will at some stage in your life. 
uh, you need to make a decision of the will. And of course, it's sifted in the brain, but it says, seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So it actually becomes a heart and will decision. You determine in your heart. So that's where the faith comes in because there's an exercising of faith. Yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to turn my back on these other things, and I have decided to put all my faith and all my hope and all my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you you have to, you know, for me, I, I clearly understood it at the time. I understood because I burst into tears. I, I realized that I had uh, done something. And I, I also, in, in, a, in a wonderful sort of way, realized that I hadn't just made a decision to include Jesus in a list of options I might have for the future. I realized at the bottom end of the garden that night that I had made a life-changing decision. And it was so. Helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Good to have you along with us. Our special guest this hour is Peter Pollock, famous for his international cricket achievements and the fact that there's a family dynasty in South African cricket. Uh, Peter played alongside his brother Graham and, of course, his son Sean captained the South African cricket team. We're talking through cricket. Uh, Peter, if we're talking about bowling, let's come back to bowling. This is your area of expertise. In those days, back in the 60s and 70s, when you were bowling fast against our Australian cricketers, the likes of Richie Benno and Bob Simpson on the receiving end of those fast bowls, uh, you were renowned for bowling with brute force. Uh, Was there a particular finesse that some fast bowlers had that you didn't? You know, to to sit down and, and analyze myself, it's it's very difficult. I I can I can tell you this that it was always, it was all my always my dream to be a fast bowler. I wanted to be the fastest bowler in the world. I understood too that in those days uh, the the cricket test scene was dominated by fast bowlers. Uh, because we had the, the incredible advantage of no helmets and no padding and all that. So there was a fear factor, and it was important to actually be just that little bit quicker, not just the average. You needed to be genuinely fast, and that's uh, the tag that they always gave me, that you are genuinely fast. So you are able not just to bowl bounces like everyone. You can actually get the ball to rise from a, a pretty good length. And we used to not bowl bo- uh, bounces. We used to bowl uh, throat balls uh, and used to have the guys uh, pitched in for that. And our job, you know, you get your your first five overs. Uh, I don't think more than two people would have been in front of the wicket. And your job in the first five overs was to get a wicket. Uh, you had to have Australia 40 for one or 40 for two, and then you had done your job. And we didn't come in to bowl a line or a length. I mean, that's a waste of energy. Your job was that every ball had to count, and that is the way. And, and you know, uh, whenever a fast bowler came on, his job was to get wickets. You are a, a, a spearhead. Uh, that is your job. And I always understood it was quite simple. We used to have team meetings. Uh, I was 
many rated as the fastest bowler at that time. It was always a controversial issue, but certainly in the in the tests against the Aussies. And my, my job was to bounce them. I, I, I remember the team meetings. We'd get together and someone would say, well, give him a few or give him a few or give that guy a few. And the poor guy who has to dish it all out was me. You know, So, so <laughs> part, part of the deal was that you couldn't socialize because you couldn't become too friendly and then dish, uh, dish out uh, bounces. But that was the job. Your job was to spearhead. And that is the job that I did for for 11 years. Uh, first up, there's the, there's the new ball, and your job is to get us wickets. It's sort of related. Someone said to me uh, the other day, well, a few, a few days ago, when I'm talking a few years ago, he said that uh, you are, uh, he was actually a past, he said, you are God's fast bowler. He said, because much as the same way as, as bowling, uh, fast was your job as an evangelist is pretty much the same. Uh, you get up there and you tell us about Jesus, and you tell us that we need to get born again, and you give it to us straight. Where you don't give us the flowery stuff, you come and tell us the truth. Yeah, you know, uh, prophecy is the speaking forth boldly of God's word, and in many respects. Uh, uh, you are God's fast bowler. In fact, the one book that I wrote is called God's Fast Bowler. It, it, it followed up on the pastor saying to me, it's much the same job. Back in those days, uh, you were the fast bowler, and the fast bowler's job, as you say, mm. was to break through. Mm. It was your job to be dangerous. As you say, you were bowling what you'd call throat bowling yeah. i mean aiming at the throat i mean yeah. there is a there's a certain killer instinct no there was definitely uh, and, a and you had to have that level of aggression uh, to be able to break through and to actually uh, i guess be consistent uh, this level of aggression has this and uh, you know we, we can talk about aggression as in being violent but if we talk about the level of resilience strength of character, the capacity to be able to break through, and as you say, be the spearhead. How does that look when you translate that into being a minister of the gospel? Is there a certain strength of character that you like to see raised up in young men and women uh, to be strong in the Lord, strong in evangelism? Mm. I, you know, I, it, it's, 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 a, it's a very good point that, that you make. I must say that the, the, the issue of aggression uh, there was one of the fast bowlers. He said, you know, uh, God, and this was before the days that I, I knew the Lord. He always used to say, uh, God has particularly gifted only certain people with extreme dangerous speed because you've got to be a, a rational sort of guy to have this lethal weapon. So, you know, we used to uh, like that sort of suggestion. But there is no question uh, that, that to, to be a fast bowler you really couldn't be uh, that 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 uh, spearhead fast bowler without aggression. Uh, it it was it was necessary. It needed to be uh, under control. And I don't think there was any one of us that can claim that we didn't lose control at some stage or another during our careers. But uh, you do need. Uh, it's the same thing. There's an aggression, but you tie it up with uh, passion as well. And I think that is the same thing uh, with, with, with the preaching of the gospel. Uh, I'm quite amazed at how people, uh, I think it's incompatible 
to know Jesus and not have a passion about uh, Jesus. Uh, certainly, it's been the, the way. But I think, too, that what does happen is that there is a maturity that comes in the Spirit of God. Uh, you have the gifting, and with that comes the the other part, because uh, I don't think uh, we can acquire these things. I think we live in a day and age, and we, we make a, a lot of mistakes by thinking you can read a book and acquire empathy, or you can acquire this and you can acquire these things. I'm not so sure about that, but I know that in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I am adequately supplied to be able to do the job that I have. I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe that I have necessarily got control of it, but I would like to believe that it's part of the ministry. Uh, God gives us gifts, uh, you know, as a preacher. Uh, you don't just become a preacher. I, I think you, it's a passion. The Bible tells us that it is a gifting. Uh, and you are an evangelist, and so you have that, and I think uh, you're apportioned the other part of it as well, because you need to have passion, and you need to have a certain degree of aggression. You need to have a bit of a thick skin. Uh, you need, like Ezekiel, to have a, a flint forehead. You need all those sort of things, but you also need uh, to be a representative of the kingdom uh, of God. And you certainly can't achieve it by reading a book or listening to a lecture. Uh, it, all these things, and I'm a very, very firm believer, uh, are, are part or, or wholly the package that comes uh, from our relationship with the Lord. You were talking a little earlier about being born again, and you mentioned that very shortly after you'd made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, uh, that you'd actually had the Bible under your arm and you were beginning to tell your story. What sort of fruit was coming in those early days? Were people impressed to hear uh, the story of Peter Pollock uh, had gone through this conversion experience? Well, one, one of the, the old Springboks, they said, what do you think about Peter Pollock? He's given his life to Jesus. The guy said, well, maybe he needed to, uh, you know, like he doesn't. But, <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> anyway, but uh, uh, there, there, was, there was fruit. Uh, I was quite interested because the worldly people were quite interested in hearing. I think there was quite a, a, a high degree of cynicism. I think people said, well, Let's let's wait and, and, and see what happens. Uh, in the church, I met a different reaction because I was so excited. I thought that I was going to save the world in three weeks. And I, I got up a few noses in the, in the church. <laughs> you know, yep. I, I, think, I think I got too excited. Um, and I must tell you the other day, I'm, I'm 75 now. I, I addressed a, a meeting in Johannesburg one Saturday morning. And we'd spoken to church leaders and that. And then afterwards, uh, some guy, it was question time. Not question, question in terms of what you'd been, but question about maybe your life and a few of these things. And some guy said to me, how old are you? So I said, I'm 75. He says, 75 and still so excited about Jesus. So I said, why aren't you allowed to? He said, you know. 75 years old, you're not excited. You're not allowed to be excited anymore about Jesus. I said, well, un unfortunately, I've just got more and more excited about it, the, the, the passion of the thing. 
We will continue our conversation beyond the news uh, coming up in just a few moments and we'll take calls on 1-800-316-316 after the news. If you're wondering where you can see Peter Pollock speaking here in Australia, there is a website you can go to which has his speaking dates. Uh, The website is called prepare.co, which is C-O, dot Z-A. That's prepare.co dot Z-A. And on there you can find a series of dates and also you can find uh, links to Peter's books. Peter Pollock has written a number of books. One of those he mentioned called God's Fast Bowler, another one called Into the Light. But that website is prepare.co.za and you'll be able to find the dates of his speaking in Australia. We'll continue after Vision National News. Our special guest is Peter Pollock, and uh, I'm happy to use the word legend. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. Uh, let's hear from Hanny in Perth in WA. Hello, Hanny. Welcome along to 2020. Good Hanny. morning. Hi, Hanny. How are you? Good morning. Fine, thank you. My name is Hanny Pretorius. I moved from South Africa a year ago. I'm 75 years old, and I want to say to Peter how much I enjoy his testimony this morning. I always enjoyed watching them play cricket. I have such a high regard for the Pollock, Pollock family who achieved so much in their sport and still stayed humble and grounded, and yet they were bold enough to openly testify for their Lord and Saviour. And I want to say in Afrikaans, Buyer, buyer, donkey. Uh, I, I, I receive that. I, I, I thank you uh, very, very much. Uh, you know, uh, the words cannot express when you when you talk like that. Uh, it, it it just humbles me further. But uh, thank you very much for those kind words, and it really thank was a, a great privilege. You know, I think of those days uh, in in South Africa when uh, South African cricket. When we started playing, it came from nothing, uh, absolutely uh, nothing in the early 1960s. And then the whole nation uh, sort of grew with the cricket side. And uh, we were all part of that. Uh, And it's a story that we try and tell, but uh, you you can't really tell it unless you actually lived it. And I suppose that's why it it became a legend, because it certainly uh, has achieved legendary status in our own land. Yes. Thank you. And may God bless you with all your endeavors. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bless you. Bye. Hanny from Perth, great to hear from you. Our talkback line is open. You might like to interact with Peter Pollock. 1-800-316-316 is our number. Peter, let me ask you about celebrity and serving Jesus, because back in the heyday when you had hit the heights of celebrity status, and it wasn't just in South Africa, but wherever you were touring, whenever there was a touring cricket side, uh, all of those cricketers have celebrity status. When you are a Christian, when you've had an experience, you've been born again, you've realized that God has some dimension for your life that you'd never even considered, but you are now beginning to understand. How do you actually uh, balance this celebrity status with this new humility of being a follower of Christ? Yeah. 
You know, I don't think that it's, it's, it's a balancing. I don't think we humans can balance. I'm a, I must tell you a story. There's a, a, a pastor in South Africa called Frank Retief. He's a very well-known uh, he's an archbishop. Uh, he's the church that was shot up many, many years ago when the terrorists came in and, and shot up on a Sunday evening service. It made world headlines. He's a good friend of, of mine. And uh, I've preached at his church a couple of times. But the one time I was at his church for a weekend, and he happened to say to me, because it took about 10 years, I'd got born again. Uh, it, had be, it, it had got a bit of publicity, but it took about 10 years for him to invite me to come uh, to preach at his church. So the one day he said to me, he said, Peter, didn't it ever? Didn't you ever wonder why it took ten years for me to invite you to come and preach? And I said, you know, Frank, I never quite thought of it, but seeing as you brought it up, uh, uh, why? He said, celebrities. He said, I have a major problem with celebrities. He said, you know, all us human beings have got an ego problem. If you've had any sort of fame or success, that ego has become an ogre. And he said, what the church is doing, a, a guy gets comes to Jesus, he should be dying to self, and we're taking and making a big hero of him. And he says, I refuse to have anything to do with any of these well-known personalities until 10 years is up. And after 10 years, I can r- r- reckon whether God is doing a job in his life uh, or not. And, you know, humility, humility is a, 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 a strange thing. If you think you're humble, you know when you're humble. And the moment you start talking about humility, it disappears straight away. Uh, humility is only something that comes via God in your life. It's not, I don't think, a natural pr- uh, progression with a human being. I think some people can act more humble than others, but uh, humility is a real issue. It's deep down in your heart, and only God knows whether you're humble or not. And it's not really even humble before man. It's humble before God. And all those things are so much in the spiritual dimension uh, that uh, I, as a human being, I just sit this side of it, and I just wonder in great awe as I watch how God works in lives, you know, if you said, oh, over my 35 years in the ministry, what is the most amazing part? I will say the thousands of men and women who have truly met Jesus and whose lives have changed. Changed. They've not changed because they read, read a book and they've learned to become Christians. It's changed because Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. And yet, celebrity creates a platform on which you can stand and speak to the multitudes that you would not have had the opportunity to speak to before. Uh, So there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, while you can reflect on celebrity and humility, uh, celebrity opens the door for a lot of opportunities. And therefore, you would say, well, God allowed you to have this level of uh, personal notoriety, this level of celebrity status, and he was using that all along. But I, I guess there's a settling into that and understanding just how important it was to have celebrity status 
and just how important it is to look at that in the context of who Jesus is. I think there's no question about that at all. I think it's not just a necessary whether you happen to be a cricketer or a sportsman or you happen to be a wealthy man. I think it also applies to giftings like a strong personality and all those sort of things. I think that it's essential to understand that, and I did understand that, that when that night when I went to the bottom end of the garden and gave my life to Jesus, I gave my life to him lock, stock, and barrel, which means um, my life uh, and everything that I was, uh, everything that I might have been, uh, all your giftings and your talents, you take them all and lump the whole lot at the foot of the cross. God is not a God of chaos. He's given you those giftings so that one day you give them back to him. And then once you've put them at the foot of the cross, I think he can sort of work through them again and come and, and use them because there is no question. And I think that's one of the reasons why I, I have this great privilege of coming to Australia, uh, because I think I, I, I don't just think I know that the platform in this country uh, for evangelism and sharing the gospel was most definitely established through cricket and through what happened in those cricketing days. As you reflect on Australia, and uh, and and I should have asked you earlier about uh, those days when you were playing in the 60s and 70s, whether the world rankings uh, favoured South Africa or Australia. I'm not sure who was who was number one in the world at the time, uh, or was it England? Uh, but when you talk about uh, celebrity, there is a context for that celebrity. There's a context, therefore, in some sense, in the calling that you have as an evangelist. Because when you go to a nation... Uh, where cricket is not played and you're an unknown, that celebrity status had no bearing at all. But as you say, when you come to Australia, people love cricket and people want to hear the testimony of someone who was famous for their cricket. Uh, There is a a sense, isn't there, that the context of, of, of who you are, God has set that in place. I, I, I don't think, again, that there's any doubt about that. You know, when we first came here, in 1963, it was a whole team of uh, new players in South Africa. The Australian side uh, was probably number one in the world. It was Richie Benau. I think they had just beaten the West Indies. They'd had that fantastic tour here. Uh, I'm, I'm not absolutely sure of those, but I know that when we came here, uh, the media and that said we would be an absolute waste of time. What were we coming here for? because uh, no one would come and watch us. Who are these guys? Who are the Pollocks and who are Barlow and who are all those guys? Bottom line was we came and we shared the series with with Australia. It was the, 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 the start. And from then on, uh, that was 63, 64, 67, the Aussies came to South Africa and we beat them 3-1. In 1970, we beat them 4-0. And by 1970, the South African cricket side was number one in the world, without any question. It's it's it's, it's still it's it's that ranking has given it. it it's nominated uh, as one of the the greatest sides in the history of the game. But it had a paucity of matches, so that counts a little bit against it in the in the statistics because of isolation and all that. But there is no question that in a, in a in a in a strange sort of way. It almost increased 
the platform, the fact that you were part of a team that actually beat the Aussies. Now, the, the Aussies are like that. Uh, yes, they will, will respect you, and they respect the people that they played against that have beaten them in a strange sort of way. It, 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 it even enhances uh, your, your platform. I find Australia here is uh, – it, it, it's – they can even, uh, I think they still pull Bill Laurie's leg about it. And I don't think he regards it as a leg pull, you know, the, 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 the four nor. I think it's, it was the first whitewash ever. I think the second whitewash was a few years ago in, 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 in India. I think they've only had two, uh, in their history, but in a, in, in a strange and, and very wonderful sort of, of way it did. I, I've had a, a wonderful relationship. Uh, with us, Australia, and I, I do, they do respect uh, achievement. There's no question about it. What do you think of what's happening with world cricket today, the IPL and uh, various movements of cricket, the changes to the game? Uh, you've got the long-form test matches uh, and usually three or five in a series, uh, one-day matches, now 2020. Uh, you've watched all of that unfold. What are your thoughts on the changes that are happening in cricket today? You know, I'd need to write a thesis or a book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obviously of, of the old school. Uh, I think uh, a little bit uh, the thing has uh, got, got a bit out of control. I think uh, there's just too much uh, cricket around. I think there's too much money uh, around. Uh, th- that's a, a rather um, a generalization. But uh, I, I think there, there is, there is uh, too much cricket. I think, though, that who can argue they're making money. Uh, the players are doing well. The commentators are doing well. The public is going and watching. Us old guys, I sit there and I watch. Sometimes I have to turn it off. I, I, I'm often turning the sound off because I, I, I don't want to hear a, a lot of all the adjectives that the commentators are using this day. But I have to admit, I, I, I watch it. And uh, the game has changed. Uh, it's changed markedly uh, but I, I suppose the modern the modern administrators and those involved would argue that it's it's going forward and and who is a, a 75 year old fast bullet to argue with <laughs> <laughs> that's right Peter Pollock is our guest our talkback line remains open and 1-800-316-316 Life Culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Peter Pollock, famous for his international cricket achievements, uh, was known for his brute force as a fast bowler playing for South Africa back in the 1960s and 70s, uh, played as a contemporary alongside uh, people like uh, Richie Benno, Bill Laurie, Bob Simpson and Wally Grout are Australian cricketers of that same era. And, of course, uh, right around the world, uh, was renowned for his fast bowling. We are taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Tom in Logan in Queensland. Hi, Tom. Welcome along. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Peter, um, you mentioned that uh, some people find cricket boring, and um, my brothers used to fight over that very point, um, but I guess that's how um, one-day cricket and 2020 came into being. Now, um, 
a number of years ago, my son and I went to a uh, Australia-Sri Lanka match one day. Um, there was plenty of wickets in hand. Uh, Adam Gilchrist was batting. Balls were going everywhere, sixes, fours. Um, he got out and Ricky Ponting came in. And I love Ricky, but he was just um, blocking the ball all the time and and the crowd got restless and the whole thing ended up on the news because they just started throwing bottles on the pitch. I was just wondering what your your take on that is from a Christian point of view. You know, I I, I find, I I used to, uh, in the early days, I I, I got myself quite involved in, in, I was a selector for many years in South African cricket and I suppose in, in a way... I, I I tried to relate cricket and and the Lord, and I tried to pray things through, and I really have come to understand. Even Sean wrote the foreword to one of my books, and he thought that uh, God was going to bless us with the World Cup at some sort of stage. But I would almost have to dare to say that I'm not so sure that God is in the winning of cricket and rugby matches, uh, because often uh, you learn more. Uh, when you lose, then actually uh, when when you win, but uh, y- you know, I, I just I, I, there's so many positive things uh, about cricket. There's so many of the of the good things. When I when I look at cricket over and and I've, as, as I say that I can never give back to cricket what it is given to me. There there is so much uh, good stuff for that. I think. And I mean, when you look at the game of cricket and all the wonderful books that have been written and all the pros, and uh, it's considered a, a gentleman's game, and it's a, only gentlemen play it, and you don't do that, and it's not cricket, and and all. I I just think that there is there's so much good in 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 the game. Uh, you can always uh, find things to detract the 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 game, and I I think. It's like in in our lives we have uh, bad things happen to us. I don't think that God orchestrates the bad thing at all, but he has promised us that in all things I will take it and use it to the the, the good. Uh, Ricky Ponting, I, I look at, at him. I mean, he's he was a gifted cricketer, a really good cricketer, and you've got Adam Gilchrist, and really they were, were different. I saw other games where, where Ricky... Uh, it, it, it almost shattered me when you said that they threw bottles at, 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 about Ricky's batting because he always seemed to me to be quite an, one of the more aggressive players. Tom from Logan, I, I think you were sort of indicating the idea that a crowd can get very upset uh, and restless when there's not action on the field. Uh, you sort of uh, indicating along the lines uh, uh, that there's a relationship between the fans and the players, and the players need to perform. Is that would uh, generally what you're saying, Tom? Um, not so much. I, th- I think Peter sort of hit it, hit the nail on the head. You know, it's, I, I, I think people in general just need to realise that it's it's not all about winning, and um, you know, it's some, sometimes we can't always get the uh, the quick. Uh, what's the word? Yeah, uh, zip up that we normally get yeah, from yeah. from action. You know, I, I must tell you that w- way back, uh, and when I played cricket, it was a long time ago. Uh, I, I often say this almost with tongue in cheek. When I played sport, um, 
you know, w- w- the, the conclusion usually was that the better team won. I think things change in, in the, these days. It, it always seems to be uh, somehow the, the better team lost uh, for this reason or this reason or, that or, or, the, or the next reason. But uh, I think the, uh, the um, int- intrusion uh, almost of um, media and uh, the, the crowd I, I use the word intrusion because in, in the old days they used to come there, not that there weren't people who tried to intrude, but you came there. Uh, I somehow feel when I came to watch cricket, I came to enjoy the cricket. Uh, it wasn't about me. I, it was, I came to see uh, Sir Don Bradman bat or I came to see uh, one of the, the, the top players uh, or, or I came to see the, the, the fast bowlers. It wasn't about me or, or, or necessary. Uh, the winning, though, I mean, that's something uh, sport is about. You don't play sport to lose. You actually play sport to, to win as a player and, I suppose, as a fan. They tell me, uh, some guy was telling me the other day, that in the world of sport today, if you haven't got this obsession, uh, that the great percentage of people at, at a sports event uh, are obsessed with winning, and that's why they are there. Uh, if they had no emotion about the winning, they wouldn't come. Uh, the thing that really gets the game going, you watch a soccer match and there's one goal in 90 minutes and they all get excited about it. It's really just about the winning or losing. It, it, it isn't about, and even in cricket you say, well, that wasn't a very, that was an ugly game or it was an ugly win, uh, but there's a big smile on his face because at least he did win. Well, Tom from Logan, thanks so much for your call and uh, been great having you on the program this hour, Peter. Uh, there is a website that I can point people to where they can find the places that you're speaking while you're here in Australia. Uh, you do come to Australia a couple of times a year yes. these days and uh, there are opportunities, I'm sure, for various churches to perhaps lock you in maybe for next year's visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the website to find out where you can see Peter Pollock speaking is called prepare.co.za. So prepare dot co dot za and on there you can also find out how you can get a hold of peter's books there are two listed there god's fast bowler and into the light and uh, those ones telling of course uh, peter's story his testimony and then of course into the light uh, reflecting on peter's career as not only a cricketer but also as an evangelist and peter it's just been great getting your insights into uh, these issues of cricket and celebrity and the idea of serving god in humility as an evangelist of breaking through of seeing people come to jesus christ it's just been a pleasure thanks so much for being with us today on 20 Well, thank you very much, Neil. It's been my privilege to be with you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.